0: Welcome to Rise Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and strange films, with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse.
1: Today on Tap, we have Coco, featuring the voices of Anthony Gonzalez, Gail Garcia Bernal, and Benjamin Bratt. Story by Lee Unkrich, Jason Katz, Matthew Aldrich, and Adrian Molina. Screenplay by Adrian Molina and Matthew Aldrich and directed by Lee Unkrich. A lot of story and screenwriter guys uh, yet again, mm-hmm. but welcome back to rice Smile films. It's time to continue on with our Pixar cask. And from 2017, we are going to be talking about Coco today. This is um, going to be a very interesting conversation. It's just a wholly kind of a unique movie, just visually. Like I can't wait to talk about how this thing looks compared to what's come before in the Pixar lineup. But um, as always, we got our drinks uh, to go along with our episode. Some more of the High West Double Rye Whiskey. And I was going to say we should say cheers today, but we're going to switch it up a bit. Salute, Matt. Salute.
0: <laughs> well said.
1: And I can't state this enough. If you are kind of want to venture into the realm that is rye whiskey, this is a great starter Yeah, whiskey to go with. Like, it. it doesn't, like punch you in the face it doesn't linger it's a nice kind of smooth almost i'm kind of getting like like some kind of sweet like vanilla-y uh aspects to this one and that's rare from a rye like you're not going to find like a redemption
0: rye or the bullet rye no pretty intense yeah that's a good starter it's mm-hmm. a little sweet there's the back end that uh, you can definitely taste the alcohol in but yeah this is a really good learn how to appreciate rye sort of whiskey without going all in it's the kiddie pool
1: there you go. And I don't know what it was with this. I always kind of remembered like this one always kind of being intense, but maybe I'm just confusing it with, with something else. But I really do like this, this bottle of, I mean, high West makes some pretty good stuff. I've been told we need to try their, uh, seasonal special. It's a little more pricey, but it's called the midsummer night's dram. Mm. I, th- I think we've, we've kind of come across that bottle before, but I've been told we need to, to, um, if we're going to, Try some more uh, high west to to add that to the to the docket. Sounds good. Excellent. Well let's get this thing started with our flight question.
2: What color is the sky? I'm yamor, I'm yamor. You tell me that it's red, I'm yamor, I'm yamor. Where should I put my shoes? I'm yamor, I'm yamor. You say put them on your head, I'm yamor, I'm yamor. You make me un poco loco, un poquititito loco. The way you keep me guessing, I'm nodding and I'm guessing. I'll count it as a blessing that I'm only un poco loco.
1: I was even gonna suggest for this episode that we should mix it up and drink tequila, but I would probably puke all over this <laughs> soundboard. That wouldn't have been a suggestion I would have taken kindly to myself either. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> we'll I already let the cat out of the bag. Coco from 2017 features a wholly unique universe, but this is something that Pixar is really good at, and we established this in last week's episode about setting the stage for a world that we haven't seen before or we've seen but not from that perspective. So my flight question to
0: you is, what are the top three most
1: unique Pixar worlds?
0: Okay, number three for me is Ratatouille. Mm-hmm. Food and foreign food are filled with possibilities. Mm -hmm. Look, food in itself is really interesting, right? And I don't know much about Ratatouille Mm -hmm. other than what that movie taught me Mm because I'd never had it before that film. Mm -hmm. Done in the hands of a very capable protagonist, the mouse. Mm -hmm. What's his name? I want to say Gus, but it's not Gus. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Um, Gus is uh, Sleeping Beauty or something, right?
1: (laughs) I got to look that up now.
0: And the French backdrop and all of the interesting pieces that go along there, I think that's a really unique Remy. Remy, there <laughs> I we don't go. Know what Benny, <laughs> Gus, Benny, Remy, whatever. Right them, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a unique world, and they do a great job of delivering it in an interesting way. I think with two likely areas of culture that I think up to this had mostly been unexplored. I think there is a hint of the french with the aristocrats but not with pixar mm-hmm. so there's my number three awesome i like that yeah have you ever I, had ratatouille
1: i haven't but like you're what you just said everything i know about ratatouille comes from that movie <laughs> so yeah. no that's good and then cooking is just such like a unique art into of itself whether it's barbecue or you know those like really fine cuisine dishes there's like a unique artness to it it's a unique world in itself, so
0: good choice. They're building that restaurant. Oh, okay. In Epcot. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, twenty twenty two, I think, or maybe late twenty twenty one. To go have some rat tattoo with an animatronic mouse on the table. <laughs> Anything in Florida sounds good to me.
1: Excellent. All righty, number three for me: uh, Monsters Inc. Uh, the world of monsters, or so to speak, the world of having children believe in the existence of monsters. I mean, it's the nine to five job that Mike and Sully have is the like the scared department. Like their job is solely to scare these children kind of go in and it's kind of what fuels their their world there. But like I've always just been really stricken by that sequence of the doors on the on like the rail system. And it's just a door into like everyone's, you know, kind of nightmares. But where that film succeeds is in the the humanity that uh, Sully especially uh, shares with Boo, the little the, with the little girl.
0: We've talked about in The Conjuring, mm-hmm. the basement filled with all the potential mm-hmm. stories. Mm-hmm. That system you're talking about, the rail system with the doors, is that, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Each one of those doors this is a different story. What lies behind it is another story. Mm-hmm. That, that's such a smart way to craft a franchise. Yeah, Blue door, red door, green door. There's any number of ways you can go, mm-hmm. but you're laying a groundwork that's familiar. Yeah. Now, they don't do that. Yeah. Monsters U goes before this happens. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm with you. That's a really ingenious way to build that. I love it too. Number two, Brave. Beautiful, lush, green, Irish, um, arranged marriages. Mm -hmm. A bit of a different princess, if you will, for Mm -hmm. what Disney was kind of up to that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that film... Other than what we're going to talk about today, Mm. for me, is my Mm favorite-looking Pixar film. It's just really beautiful. And then the lore. Yeah. right. Turning mom into the bear and that sort of curse that sort of plays throughout it. Um, Tackling a lot of really interesting customs and myths and tradition. And when Pixar can do that, I think they do it quite well. Oh, yeah.
1: That's one I've only seen once. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's a few of these I've only kind of seen one or two times. Uh, but, yeah, I can't disagree with how that film looks. It's just so lush and green, and it's just so Scottish and Scotland. It's just so green. Um, it's, that's how just I picture that, that part of the world. So they capture that brilliantly. Yeah. Number two for me, Toy Story. The world of the toys, the toys not being played with. Uh, who would have thought, you know, right out of the gate that, um, you know, for what we talk about at least once every other episode, if not every episode, is what yeah. a high-concept film is. And how is that not, like, the definition of, like, high-concept filmmaking of, you know, your toys exist in their own self-sustaining society when you're not watching? I mean, they have their own kind of, like, town hall meetings. They have their own search and rescue. They got their own dynamic going about there. And what happens when new toys come into that dynamic? It disrupts it, obviously. Yeah. And whether you go from film t- one, two, three, or four, I mean, that always carries on. But that world seen from about one inch up uh, is
0: entirely really fascinating to me. I mean, that concept built an empire.
1: that mm-hmm. built this whole animation
0: studio for <laughs> what Freddie did for New Line. There you go. Toy story did for pixar is that fair you know, that, i think that's a definitely. apt comparison well if the first one comes out and it's a disaster you're not going
1: to get to make more right yeah
0: i'm actually sort of surprised that it had taken that long to deliver something that was that good like i know they tried it with that stupid movie called toy soldiers once upon a time like, oh small soldiers small soldiers toy soldiers is the one Different. with sean astin right <laughs> war movie yeah small soldiers <laughs> not had potential. I like that movie. <laughs> yeah, but it could have been better, right? Good idea, poor execution.
1: It t- there's this is just hilarious. There's a scene in that movie with Phil Hartman. Bless his bless his art. RIP. Yeah, he just installed this new sound system, cable setup on his TV, and he's watching some war movie with his wife. That's like drugged up on like Xanax, and he's just sitting there eating popcorn. He's watching this war movie, and he just turns and says, "I think World War II was my favorite one." <laughs> <laughs> it's too
0: funny. Bill uh, Hartman.
1: Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, I'm surprised it took them that long to bring something like that to the screen.
0: I'm glad they got their hands on it. Mm-hmm. Produced some good content because of that. Definitely. Number one. I'm going to go with A Bug's Life again. Same as last week. Um, Well, again, what I
1: just said from one inch up. Now let's take that down to a centimet- centimeter down and we literally get to see an
0: existing work colony like in full force. Right. So yeah I was just going to say it doubles down on what you said for Toy Story and it does it with bugs. Bugs are hard to make likable. Bugs are not likable. Yeah. Bugs suck. Right. Exactly. <laughs> or bite. And they do a great job and the voices are terrific. You ain't we- going
1: to make a centipede likable for me?
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we talked about the system of labor and all the things that go into that. Um, so I'm not sure of the three worlds, that's the one I would want to probably live in. i probably want to live with Brave. Um, But interestingly enough, that film to me has enough periphery interest to keep me entertained when the story starts to lag. And that generally happens with almost every Pixar Mm -hmm. film for a moment or two with me. The stuff on the sides, whether it's the leaves or watching this character eat this or the interplay between the bugs and the carnivorous nature of some of them. And then the grasshoppers mm-hmm. just look mean. It's a great choice. Yeah. They seem burly and brawny, and it's a perfect choice. And it gives you a really hateable villain mm-hmm. to pull against. I hate grasshoppers. I've always hated grasshoppers.
1: Good choice. Thanks. I've yeah, been throwing a lot of love the Bug's Life's way these last two weeks, which is which is good. You know, it's always been a, like, like I said, a dark horse entry for me in this, in this filmography. Mm-hmm. My number one, I don't even know it's a film that I necessarily like a lot, but I fully have to accept just, you know, how unique the world is and this the world of balled up emotion from inside out. I think the parts I like most about the, I love that Kyle MacLachlan has a voice in that movie. <laughs> The dad, mm-hmm. but I like that there's this whole internal, almost robotic mechanism of making people emote whether it's angry, sad, happy, joy, uh, you know, the, the, the works. But it's almost like a, a, a factory is kind of how it's visually done. I always like that sequence of I think it's joy and sadness kind of walking through, and there's just all these like marble balls of every savable memory and what that emotion is and they're all color coded based on on what that is i, I that's fascinating to me it, it's it's the inner workings of the brain to a molecular level but from a fantasy standpoint and I, I i like i said i don't know if i necessarily really like that movie but conceptually and where a lot of pixar stuff kind of comes in it's just it's uh, it's a look into something that you know we haven't really seen from
0: that perspective I kicked the tires on that one a little bit too, mm-hmm. but I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. That's my least favorite Pixar film. It, it's remarkable. And the little, whatever thing that's the guide through the oh, bing bong. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Jar Jar. I mean, bing bong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't like that film, but it is crafted at a very unique way. And to sort of do the memories, like you said, as these crystal balls or marbles, that are breakable. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then watching them dissolve. Um yeah, I just Yeah, great. It's a great choice. Yeah. I also don't like that movie. Yeah. But it's a great choice. Yeah. I don't like that movie because of that. I like that movie for a whole other set of reasons which we don't have time to get into today. I know. <laughs> but no, it's it's well constructed with the colors and the memories and the interplay between the emotions is very funny. And as they sit there at the control pad on on the deck. Arguing.
1: Yeah. Over what emotion gets to take the forefront. You know what I mean? Balancing each other out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we left a lot on the table, whether that was the world of cars or the world of Under the Sea with Finding Nemo, the world of superheroes. I you
0: mean, don't like cars, though. And I, f- I thought for sure you were going to give me the Incredibles on this one.
1: I thought about that. But like, you know, that's a world that we're familiar with. You know what I mean? I tried yeah. to pick some stuff that we don't get to see every every day.
0: What's I mean, If you can do it shortly. Yeah. What's the breaking point with cars for you? What is it that's the the non-starter when it comes to cars?
1: I don't know if, if it's... It has like a NASCAR vibe to it, some of it, and I I like the world, uh. But there's just something
0: uninteresting, un-
1: uninteresting about the talking vehicle to me. Mm. <laughs> Whether that's Night Rider, Herbie. or... <laughs> yeah, any of those things, like that's never did, like kind of like been an itch I need to scratch. Yeah. Uh, but I I fully like you know kind of how it's it's played out, and I just feel like maybe they made too many of them, and then they have a rep too of being kind of at the bottom of the barrel of the Pixar quality. Hmm. Paul Newman has a voice in that. In that that was, I think, his last movie, actually, was voicing the cars, uh, car in the first one.
0: That's interesting. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I like anthropomorphic, like, animals and, yeah. like... Inanimate objects, but like I think a car is pushing it for me. Like that's a bit of a suspension of disbelief, even from an animated standpoint.
0: Are those worse for you than Wally? That's my bottom low level shitville. Wally sucks. Uh, probably not.
1: Is that I can tolerate Wally a little bit more than than the than the cars.
0: Oh my gosh, cars is worse for you than Wally. Yeah, it's just it was, you
1: hate it. It's just I don't hate it. It's just uninteresting to me. It's just I I literally can't put myself in front of it to like enjoy it so interesting <laughs> excellent yeah let us know what some of your favorite worlds are hit us up on Instagram or Facebook or at ricemileproductions at gmail.com we'll read those out on the next episode but Matt I think it's time to dive right into our review breakdown of Coco
0: away we go
2: Abuelita runs our house just like Mama y did <laughs> no music <laughs> no music, okay, no, okay, music. no music <laughs> I think we're the only family in Mexico who hates music. And my family's fine with that. But me? Be back by lunch, Miko. Love you, mama. I am not like the rest of my family. Hola, Miguel. Hola. Muchas gracias. De nada, Miguel.
1: So a couple of things are established here right at the beginning of Coco that are, are very important. One is the world, which is where we're at. This is nondescript town in Mexico uh, around the time of Dia de los Muertos, the day of the dead, November 1st. So right after Halloween and then music. So this has kind of hit me in like two ways, Matt, because, you know, I love music, you know, like I'm very, I, I love this culture and the music takes an interesting uh, aspect in terms of the plot because it's, it's essentially what drives the entire thing. So we get that nice kind of little flashback through kind of the cutouts. I wish I knew what those, what that particular design was called. I can't come up with it. But we get the backstory on, on Miguel's family and his ancestors and how everything's kind of been passed down from... Uh, Mama Coco to his grandmother to his parents and then to him and kind of the number one rule that we're kind of taking away from this is no music's allowed in this household it's like they have a very staunch stance on on the music which we don't understand why until later on in the in the rest of the film but they're very firm about it running their little zapateria shoemaking factory (laughs)
0: With the choices before you of making shoes, cobbling over shoes or following the aspirations and glory that go along with music in that culture or frankly any culture, but in this movie, the culture, Mm -hmm. man, it's an easy decision and you can see why Miguel is a little bit torn here. Mm -hmm. Not only is it not appreciated, it's not even allowed. Now I'm going to say something Mm -hmm. and we... I want people to take this with a grain of salt, but I need it to be considered. Yeah. If you're going to fight music, you have to be careful not to be so silly that you go down a footloose path. Yeah. (laughs) And that's not to draw a comparison between Miguel and Kevin Bacon or Christopher Penn or any of the nonsense John Mm -hmm. Lithgow in that. But fighting against music, which is essentially an action taken on is a little bit of a tough task to pull off. Yeah. You're not trying to slay a dragon or dig up a treasure. Mm-hmm. You're fighting against a fundamental rhythm that everybody has at some point and you have to make it clear to the audience and they're going to do this. I don't have any qualms mm-hmm. with the film in mm-hmm. this space. Yeah. Why that's so important. Yeah. Like, are you going to freak out? Is grandma going to hit you with her flying chunkla if you hum a tune? Mm -hmm. And the movie says right away, yes. Mm -hmm. So great-grandma Coco and then grandma-grandma. Oh, you'll have to look that up for me. Yep. Want no part of music. And then Miguel's immediate family, mom, dad, brother, sisters, a little bit less aggro about the no music tropes. But you're going to essentially outlaw music in the family, you have to give me a darn good reason why that is. They'll give it to us. Yeah. But do you understand my footloose take there? No, I do. Yeah, because
1: that's... Matt, imagine if you were told growing up, your parents said, Matt, you cannot listen to music. They're like, you know how great music is just as a fundamental art, whether it's rock, classical, movie soundtracks, jazz, you know, insert any... You know, you no know, Mexican. Uh, it's it's so fundamental to life in any in any kind of form. So yeah, you're right. And the buy into saying we are against music because of A, B, C, and D. You have to sell it. Otherwise, yeah, you're right. You go down the the
0: footloose path of just. I think that's kind of a common thread too. The oppressive or repressed parents not allowing youth to play with music is also almost famous. Like we've done it on the show already. Yeah, Abuelita an, is... You current. could even argue high fidelity to a certain point as well. Mm-hmm. So that's a tough goal to accomplish. Music is tough. Mm-hmm. We'll see if they get there. Let's break it down.
1: Excellent. So again, we've already established Day of the Dead, Dia de los Muertos with the Rivetta family and how they've kind of outlawed music. But like we said, like... Miguel represents an interesting kind of facet just because of how drawn to it he is. I mean, he has his own idol, which is going to be a mainstay character in this film, Ernesto de la Cruz, who's kind of like the regional Elvis... Of, yeah. of sorts. Well I mean, he's he's a legend in the area who tragically died when a bell collapsed on top of him in the middle of a performance. I can't imagine how scarring that would have been for the children of the time, mm-hmm. but he's a, he's a legend now. He has his own uh, memorial uh, mausoleum in the city that people come and pay respects to. The guitar itself is legendary. His songs, his music, Remember Me, his, his whole songography is legendary to, to the people here. Um, but again, Miguel's family is just very steadfast, but of course there's going to be pushback. I mean, if, if you had something dangled in front of you, like appetite for destruction, Matt, you're going to want to take a gander.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so
1: Miguel has that. And I love this little chantate attic that he has, which is essentially an ofrenda, which we're going to come to know is just like the remembrance, like offering table, memorial altar to the dead. Yeah he has that to Señor de la Cruz is this pyre of just what he worships about his music.
0: So I think we've set up something that really is working now, and that's this idolatry-like worship from a folklorian-type character. And the pursuits of wanting to be what Miguel perceives him as is what everyone does on some level. Everyone has somebody that they admire. To Pixar, thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Good job to give us something that's entirely relatable to. There's also another large challenge here with the festival-like nature that Coco and Latino culture celebrates. And you and I are both very familiar with not only the movie, but that culture regionally, like I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm married to an Hispanic woman and my partner Mm -hmm. is that. So Mm -hmm. it's not something that's unfamiliar to us. Mm -hmm. Music's a huge part of that. Yeah. From mariachi to flamenco to mm-hmm. just rock and roll, whether it be war or Even Rolling Stones Latin, or hoop.
1: Latin jazz fusion. I mean,
0: I'm right. If mm-hmm. we want to get into Hector Laveau and which mm-hmm. someday we're going to do El Cantante, we're oh, yeah. going to do that film yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. Book it, Ryan Nation. All right. <laughs> That's taking a huge part of the celebration out of that culture. Mm-hmm. Add to it for Miguel's point of view. And escapism that's offered for Ernesto de la Cruz, that's a better life that's promised movie stars and beautiful women and fancy clothes. Mm -hmm. And they do a pretty good job of making him very homebound. I wouldn't say impoverished, but it's not far from that. And that's okay. Like they're not suffering under a capitalistic theme in this film, but it's there how old would you say Miguel is in this movie okay so now you just stole the next thing I wanted to say god you've like we've yeah. been doing this too long <laughs> this is my first problem okay Miguel needs to be 17 or 18 and not nine okay
1: you think he's nine
0: that's what I think
1: I think he's like 12 like 11 or 12.
0: that's still not old enough yeah. he's got to at least be of an age where he we'll get to that later. This is a problem for me. He's not old enough.
1: I know I know where you're going with that, but like cuz what it kind of deals with is the blowback that Miguel gives it is a bit of a counter cultural movement that he's going through. I mean, he is resistant to accept his familial ties and his values, which a lot of youth go through that, you know what I mean? So tradition. To, yes, and to that.
0: I mean, there was times I hated going to church as a kid. Times? <laughs> you mean every Sunday? <laughs> every Sunday and every Saturday or every every Sunday and then every Wednesday when everybody got up at 1.30 and you and me went to CCD? Mm-hmm. Times? Like every time. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. But it made you, I don't know, made you something. Look. Well, I, I, I want, don't forget what you're going to
1: say, but <laughs> yeah. it's kind of goes into what I said last week is you don't appreciate a lot of those things around that time. But as you grow older, as you kind of learn things, as unfortunately as people pass on uh, Mm -hmm. in your life, family, Mm -hmm. those things start to mean a lot more. Tradition, uh, cultural ties, uh, familial ties. And there's no one there to tell you at like Miguel's age. And and like you said, he's young to appreciate that because he – kids are stubborn sometimes. You know what I mean? Like there's no one to tell you to appreciate the family in front of you at that time because you're a kid. You've got a very carefree attitude at that age.
0: So this is going to be a long winded. So everybody buckle Mm -hmm. up for a minute and Mm -hmm. go make a cup of coffee. Let me get through this. Mm -hmm. The flight question last week was birthed from what you're talking about for me. Yeah. And that was adult themes in Pixar films Mm -hmm. in everyone's family we all come to that crossroads where we recognize we didn't grow up with the cleavers. It wasn't leave it to beaver. And there's not just one black sheep. There's like a fucking skeleton after skeleton in everyone's closet. And we all come to that with everybody's family. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I remember when my eyes were opened and I learned the truth about my family. Mm -hmm. And that's just because all families are built from the same thing, which is people Mm -hmm. infinitely flawed. Yeah. Okay. So that being said, I want to give you a character, Paul Danos, specifically in Little Miss Sunshine. Mm -hmm. That movie does what I want Miguel to do in this movie. He's at that age where he's recognizing how broken the apparatus that's raised him around him are. And you get to that point where you're ready to dust off your hands and move on down the road. But there is the acknowledgement that the same blood is coursing through my veins and their veins. Mm -hmm. And it's my family. If we age Miguel, whether he's nine or 12, Mm -hmm. nine to six six to nine years to get him to my version of 18, 17, 18, or your version of 17 or 18. Mm -hmm. I think we're a little bit more capable of really jumping in. And this is going to play for me later. And I'm going to defend this argument a bit down the road. Mm -hmm. We're, we're able to play in that space a little bit more, and I don't think we lose the childish viewership in there. He wants to be his <clears> own man, do his own thing, and here's his family in his way, and you get to that crossroads, which is, because we're going to do it anyway, everybody. It comes anyway. I have to forgive the sins of my family because at the end of the day, it's all I have. Can I jump into
1: that too? Yeah, the older he gets, though, do we kind of run a risk of not buying into music as a barrier to overcome? You know what I mean? I'm not saying it becomes a little more footloosey. There's a whole other reason about that that movie. But yeah. I think because he is a little younger, a little more adolescent, there is a little more, you know, if you're told not to like something, there is kind of a little bit of a belief in that. But the older you get, you know, you know driving and smoking and joining a military age that um you wouldn't buy into that barrier of music as, uh, as as uh as a barrier
0: yes I agree with what you're saying there mm-hmm. I see where you're going with that mm-hmm. he does run away from his family and sacrifices everything in pursuit and I think that recklessness mm-hmm. and, and I agree with what you said mm-hmm. So yes to both of these. The recklessness that he shows seems a bit more appropriate for someone who's post-15 and has had their feet on the ground long enough to know that there is something outside the four walls of his hacienda. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. There is an element in this of mom and dad still say no and that holds some weight, whereas mom and dad say no at 18 and the weight is now met with a middle finger and I'm out of here, but we get there anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm okay with that argument in either space. I just, am going to, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on. I want him. I don't want for me in this movie to be what I want it to be. Mm -hmm. He's got to be 17, 18. Got to be the other thing too, that starts to happen as as he becomes 17, 18, and not 9 to 12, is the acknowledgement of the other thing that Dela Cruz celebrates, and that's the admiration from females, and that is definitely a tie when it comes to Hector mm-hmm. and Imelda. Yeah. Probably just killed that. No, that, uh, you're right. Oh, my God, it's a miracle, Jesse. <laughs> you
1: got it right. How about that? Um, Glory be. I know what you mean. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't know how
0: to sift through all that. Like, you've posed a really strong point, and I agree with you, but mm -hmm. I'm also still where I'm at on this.
1: I also think it becomes a different movie if we go that direction, too.
0: But there might be a movie worth seeing as well. You know what I mean? And, I mean, not to let the cat out of the bag, and I'm not going to kill this movie, so everybody, oh, Matt's heading up for rock. I'm not. It's not. It's not the movie that I want entirely. And you know what's strange about this? Mm -hmm. God, I think we did a show early on that was Oscar predictions. Mm, mm-hmm. And I had this as potential best picture winner. Mm-hmm. And this time through, I'm not going to say the two lines that I always say, cause yeah. they don't work here. Yeah. I think that was a far inflated breakdown of this film upon the second viewing. That's interesting. Cause I actually think I liked it more this time than the first time I saw it. There are pieces of it that I still liked better this time or grew to appreciate even more. It is a beautifully constructed film. It's Pixar's, in my opinion, it's Pixar's best-looking movie, including Mm -hmm. all of the Nemo stuff. Yeah. And Brave. It looks the best. Maybe because I love the colors because I live in the Southwest. Mm -hmm. And they do a good job of representing that appropriately. Yeah, It is a remarkably stunning film. And that's great for me. And that's not going to change. Now I'm in your space with the kind of the production and the look of it. That's a bit more where you kind of, which is fine. Like yeah, you're rubbing off a, on me. We doing a freaky Friday thing. we or we're like, kind of are, <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're going to be more aesthetic and I'm going to be more story.
0: So <laughs> I, I will give it every accolade in the world in that space. Yeah, I just, it's not what I want. No, I know. Who am I? I'm one voice. Yeah. You're listening to it, so you get to hear it, I guess.
1: Well, let's get, let's get this catch the story up a little bit. So, Dia de los Muertos, you know, Miguel really wants to show off his guitar playing, uh, his secretive guitar playing skills at this talent show in the plaza, and it's when he kind of makes a stunning revela- revelation with his Mama Coco of this photo that is torn in, in a third that's missing, you know the. The, the 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 father ties of of who that is, but when he puts the guitar, stacks it up, the the man that's there, he's like, oh my god, this is Ernesto de la Cruz.
2: Mamá, Mama! it's him! I know who my, my grandfather was, Miguel. Get down from there, Mama Coco's father was Ernesto de la Cruz. What are you talking about? I'm gonna be a musician. What is all this? You keep secrets from your own family? (laughs) It's all that time he spends in the plaza. Fills his head with crazy fantasies. It's not a fantasy. That man was Ernesto de la Cruz, the the greatest musician of all time. We've never known
1: anything about this man. But whoever he was, he still abandoned his family. This
0: is no future for my son. But,
2: but, 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 Papa, you said my family would guide me. Well, De La Cruz is my family. I'm supposed to play music. Never. That man's music was a curse. I will not allow it. If you would just yeah. like la-
1: you will listen to your
2: family. No more music. Just listen to me play. End of argument. You want to end up like that man? Forgotten? Left off your family's ofrenda? I don't care if I'm on some stupid ofrenda. <gasps> <gasps> No. Mama.
1: <clears throat> so there's a lot of a lot of things happening in this particular sequence and like we've already stated how important family as a theme is in this in this film whether that's the aversion to cultural values or the unity that family brings you know through the the use of the ofrenda but uh yeah they found his treasure trove of music they smash it to pit, to bits and then we get the crux of it. You know, this man, do not put worship in false idols. Look, look, my, my Catholic's coming out, Matt.
0: Yeah. Uh, coming a Footloose podcast
1: after all, isn't it? You can't put so much stock into these people that you don't really know based on, on, on what you see. And we learn the truth of it. Well, that man, he abandoned his family when he was young. And so we're at a bit of a crossroads here because, A, we don't know why he abandoned the family. We're going to find out later and find out the true person behind uh, the photo. But it's, again, it's, it's, you're squashing the person that I I take real stock into. I mean, this is like if you're a basketball player and you really worship Michael Jordan and everyone's telling you not to play ball, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You, you still want to pursue that. So Miguel says something really interesting there. And he says, I don't care if I'm on some stupid ofrenda uh, waiting to be forgotten, which is going to become a bit of an issue for some of the characters going forward. But yeah, it's yeah, pure counterculture at this point. And then I think Miguel for me at this point represents a bit of an interesting character and the way the the story unfolds and unfolds in that he goes to the mausoleum of Ernesto de la Cruz and he's like, he's like, I need a guitar to play because my abuelita just smashed mine up. So then like, he's already revolting a little bit. He's, he's gonna steal this, this worshiped altar.
2: Señor de la Cruz, please don't be mad. Uh, Miguel, your great, great grandson. I, I need to borrow this. Our family thinks music is a curse. None of them understand, but I know you would have, you would have told me to follow my heart. To seize my moment. So if it's all right with you, I'm going to play in the plaza just like you did.
1: Visually really cool like when, when he does that. But this guitar represents is a bit of a, a MacGuffin of sorts. It's the source of all the evil, so to speak. Yeah. This is the birth of kind of the the incident. And it's all just, it's going to be told to us later. I mean, Pixar's really good at like, if they're going to plant a seed, I think they pay off it. Oh, sure. for it in, in most of their films. Uh, but this curse, like w- once he strums this, this guitar, this curse he's talking about, we get to see that in, in, in full effect there. And it's actually the gateway to the afterlife, which is very fascinating to me. I mean, the visual look of, the dead visiting the ofrendas, which, you know, the family, you know, for whoever doesn't understand what that is, you know, it's going and putting up offerings and food and gifts and what's, it's a memorial, it's a memorial. And like the way it's visually presented to us is that the dead do come and pay recognition to that. They go and see how big their granddaughter's gotten since the last time that they they've arrived, they go and take the gifts. And then they get to go take them back to the land of the dead. It's it's presented to us visually, I think, incredibly fascinating, like as ghosts, skeletal ghosts. Yeah,
0: Not cute, but cute, charming cute. Yeah. Well, they could have made these ghouls look like Thriller, and it's not a Disney movie anymore. <laughs> <laughs> to take the leaf and use that as the key that gets you between essentially the Rainbow Bridge, mm-hmm. the afterlife, and and the living is also really smart. That's the genius of the beauty in this Pixar film.
1: That's one of the finest moments in the movie when Miguel crosses that bridge and and looks up and sees the actual land of the dead. When You know, Mexican culture, how they view the afterlife is entirely fascinating to Mm -hmm. me. And, you know, here in the States, I mean, you know, we treat death with somber morose and sadness. And whether it's, you know, in Japan, you know, they, they have like like a all week long funeral for you when you die. Yeah, There's a lot of acceptance and remembrance and they don't treat it as a sad thing, but more as a part of life. And I think this film captures that brilliantly. So when we see that
0: moment that we're talking about, it looks incredible. Like, you know what I mean? If they were to say, see you on the other side. They literally meet in a joyous reunion that's only a matter of time away. There's even a line later in the film mm-hmm. that Ernesto gives Miguel, which is... I hope you die soon. Mm-hmm. And Miguel's sort of taken aback, and then he realizes, like, oh, that's actually meant as a as a kind, loving thing to say. Now, mm-hmm. that plays out later, but for what you just set up, here's where the struggle begins for me. Like, we're in the second act, and this, this movie really gets bogged down in the second act for me, and here's mm-hmm. why. Miguel, at 9 to 12, is chasing a rather childish fantasy to do the same thing that his hero did. Like I want to wear, and we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Whatever childhood idol you have and you emulated them in some way. Okay. So I'm good there. But the stakes around it are far greater than nine to 12. That is death, eternal theft, walking away from your family, the pursuit of what your career is going to be. Those are far greater than, Than a nine-year-old can comprehend. Okay. So the movie then should not make him feel the totality of those moments. Aha. But those things they do, he does rob the mausoleum and the cops show up. Mm -hmm. He does. And this works also in the structure of story, Mm -hmm. the ticking time bomb when he goes to the other side and he's only got till sunrise or sundown to get back across. Mm -hmm. Um, the disillusionment when you come to the realization, your family's full of shit. Yeah, <laughs> those are all big, big, big themes. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I just, I. But oh. what it what it what it what it represents to
1: me is, you know, portraying him at such a young age is this is a f- child's first encounter with death, right? And if we talk about the adult themes of Pixar, I mean, this didn't uh, make our our list, but broaching the subject of the afterlife and what happens when people die man i don't know how old you were when someone close to you first passed i think i was like five or six and it was like a great aunt that passed Mm. and you know you do whether as a parent or even yourself have to make peace with whatever just happened You you know what i mean yeah the the process of a funeral a cemetery and I think the way Miguel's presented to us is that he hasn't necessarily gone through this thing other than what the ofrenda represents to people he's never met before. But him crossing the threshold into the land of the dead is also his first foray into what death's all about. Remembrance and those that have passed on. And I think for Pixar to take that idea and do that in a kid's movie. Again, Mm -hmm. we're talking about kid's movies is ambitious, and I think they handle it pretty well. So I know you're, you're really stuck on him being older, and I, I think we get more of that kind of counterculture rebellious aspect to Miguel at, at, at an older age, and, and grappling with more adult themes, like you said, the the womanizing of Hector de la Cruz, and, and those things are totally in play, but I think when approaching what death means definition-wise for kids... I think he's. I think it's age appropriate for for him. And like you said, they put lofty stakes on his shoulders. I mean, he's got to grow up really quick through the process of this, process of this
0: movie. So the skill set that he has to cope with this then comes into question for me. Mm-hmm. He's got a sidekick dog, which we're going to get into, and that works pretty well. But there's a very fine line between, like you brought up earlier, sort of the Joseph Campbell quest archetype. For me, there's a fine line between dogged. And bitchy or whiny. Mm-hmm. And Miguel in the second act really starts to delve on the side of whiny, like crybaby. Yeah. And it does, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't ruin the film for me. It's just he doesn't, and with I you're right. This is a big moment when you start to come to terms with what death is. Mm-hmm. And at nine to twelve, whatever age we give him in that range, that's a big moment. And for every, even when my first one hit me, which mm-hmm. was significantly older than that, yeah, 18, mm-hmm. how do you deal with that? Mm-hmm. Certainly a 9 to 12-year-old doesn't give a damn about the offerings on the ofrenda mm-hmm. when he just wants to go play his guitar and be famous like the man he idolizes because he doesn't even know them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, again, for me, I'm stuck in are we playing with a kid who is poorly equipped in adult world, which there's a story there. That's the fish out of water trope. And that's what this ends up being. It's a total fish out of water water story. Yeah. But then you have to, through the process of what the character goes through for me, get them to a point where he acquires those skills. And I don't know if I can say with a hundred percent certainty that there's enough in that to cross that bridge for me. That doesn't mean that I don't also appreciate what he's about to go through and the beauty and the severity and the formality and the loyalty and the family heritage and all of that stuff that's in play. That's really important. I just found myself this time through most of the second act when Miguel took over the scenes going like, Oh my God, this kid is bugging the shit out of me. He just won't stop whining. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's where, as we're getting into this, and I agree with everything that you said. I don't have a skill set in him that he has or acquires to traverse that. That doesn't mean that it doesn't entirely work, and that doesn't mean that I I, I like the film. I know, yeah, you know, no, no. The, to me, the skill set is the playing of the music. He is actually pretty decent
1: at you know what he's been practicing in secrecy when he gets to put it to the test. I mean, we played that little kind of sound clip there. And I don't necessarily know if it's a skill set he needs to learn to learn the lesson at the end of the day rather than the ultimate truth, which is what he's going to learn. That family was right at the end of the day with the revelation of what Ernesta de la Cruz means to this movie.
0: And he kind of puts his family through hell, and they stand by him in this. Whether it's the chase or, like, not listening to what your tia said. Like, they they... They go to no lengths to continue to support him in that. And that's quite a beautiful theme, too, because yeah. Miguel kind of doesn't deserve it for some of this film.
1: And I and I think I kind of I like some of those aspects. I like a uh, a hero's character arc where we end up, you know, resenting him and not, you know, like you said, whining and kind of like uh, he's kind of bitching at, at all the advice being told to him. Yeah. That when he learns that moment, that he has that realization of what he needs to do. And I think this film does deliver that. I mean, he does go through a, a bit of a, a character arc, but it is in reverse of you know what we're used to seeing. It's different than like a Luke Skywalker character arc, where he's so heroic through all the scenes we see him in. Uh, whereas this one, we kind of resent him a little bit. But through the learning of that truth, I think... I think he does learn, you know, what's important that's in,
0: in front of him. And one of it's the, his sidekick, which is Hector. A <laughs> couple good sidekicks in this. I'm going to bring up one more thing, and then we can move on to the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. Anytime you have a film titled after a character, you mm-hmm. expect it to be a story about that character. Yeah. This movie's not called Miguel, and I'm not bringing up something that is so obvious. A chimpanzee and a third grader could figure it out. Yeah. She actually is the linchpin to this film. Yeah. Again, back to this struggling that I have with the film regarding age, they bring Coco's moment to sort of tie all of this together in at such a point that for a character who has essentially been a non-player other than window dressing as part of the family, mm-hmm, to then have her rescue the moment. And she does through Miguel's actions Mm -hmm. and and his family. I think that's a bit of a miss too. I don't want the movie to be called Miguel. I don't want it to be called any of the character names. I think it needs to be something that's a bit more expansive than character name. And I don't know if it's Dia de Muertos. I I don't don't know what it is. The Ofrenda. I, I don't know what it's called, but it's not Coco for me either that's not her movie even though it is it's not her movie yeah
1: she's important into it like because when i when i thought about the the title too i was like well how does this kind of tie all back to to the the film at the end and she's the
0: key piece in it right i mean i'm acknowledging that
1: it does i mean she's the final piece of the puzzle that you know makes you know the lesson learning kind of come full circle for for miguel but there's a lot of i think great story and uh, this is hilarious that we're like kind of like switching sides here but whatever uh I think the story d- does a great thing. I mean, they they've established this unique looking world. Yeah. it's almost like an airport. You got to pass through TSA. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have a picture on the ofrenda, you can't go hang out with your family. The living, mm-hmm. you but you get to kind of stay back in this land, and they got their own like customs, and it's it's crazy. Like like they, they put such deep. Again, we talked about last week with Onward the familiar, whether that's fast food or you know our everyday life, peppering that into the afterlife. Like, they have all the same things there, too. But then we kind of get what Miguel has to do uh, in order to go back.
2: Whatever he is, I am terribly allergic. But Dante doesn't have any hair. And I don't have a nose. And yet, here we are. (laughs) But none of this explains why I couldn't cross over. Oh, (laughs) You <gasps> took my photo of the ofrenda? Well, it was an accident. How oh, do we send them back? Well, <laughs> since it's a family matter, the way to undo a family curse is to get your family's blessing. That's it? Get your family's blessing and everything should go back to normal. But you've got to do it by sunrise. What happens at sunrise? Híjole, your hand. Ah! Oh, Miguel, can have you fainting on us. <laughs> but not to worry. Your family's here. You can get your blessing right now. Sempasuchel, sempasuchel. ah Perdón, señora. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, you look at the living and say his name. Miguel. Nailed it. Now say, I give you my blessing. I give you my blessing.
1: So here we, we we get it all and and a lot of things that I think work fairly well for them. We've already established one of them. Miguel's a fish out of water. For those that don't know what that is, that's a character when a fish is out of water, it's out of its element. So when you do that in film, you take a character out of the element and we get to learn the lore and the verbiage through that character. Mm-hmm. It's oftentimes when, you know, films don't work for me is like we're having to piece a lot of shit together that makes no sense. But if you have a character like this a Marty McFly you get to learn through him you're the character in that in that regard yeah we got this ticking time element i mean miguel's turning into a transparent skeleton like you said un- until sundown or sunrise whichever one it is uh if he doesn't go back to his world he'll be here permanently like dead we've established something else if if there's no one putting a picture on an ofrenda for you of your family or friends you don't get to pass over into the, the world of the living. And so then that becomes pretty important uh, going here with, with one of the characters that he encounters, Hector, uh, we're just, you know, if after a set amount of time, people start to forget you, the memory of you, the visage of you, and you fade off into nothingness.
0: What I love about what you just said and what they do quite well in this, to be fair, like I said, I don't hate this movie at all. Not mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So We have gone round and round off mic and on mic about the necessity of having a system of rules to play by Mm -hmm. that it gives structure to your film. And that's been one of my biggest complaints with certain films is there's no geography, there's no regionality to Mm -hmm. it, there's no gravity to it. So you can do that with weight as far as characters go and how they don't move in the last quarter of Into the Spider-Verse for me versus... The weight that they would have in this film, mm-hmm. characters, gravity, all that kind of stuff. And then there's the other piece, which is what I'm talking about specifically here. And here's the nomenclature or the rules that you have to play by in this role sundown, ofrenda, blessings, et cetera. And if you get the blessing, we're playing along with what has been something that's troubled this family, which is a curse. You get the blessing, but it's as they grant it to you. Mm-hmm. Giving someone the ability to do something with as it's granted is a curse, Jesse. Yeah. So when Imelda gives Miguel the keys back to the land of living, she gives him back, you can go, but no ability to play music. And so what does he do? Shows up, hits the guitar, boom, back in the land of the dead. Yep. So we have a structure Mm -hmm. done brilliantly in what was that? 65 seconds, maybe, if even. Yeah. Really well done. Yeah. There's a lot of movies that could go to school on this. Oh,
1: of course. Yeah. There's movies that don't do this and you're just like, God, I don't know what the hell's going on. And
0: essentially it's three things, right? Sundown, Mm -hmm. the blessing, and the ofrenda. Those Mm -hmm. are the essentially the three pieces. The the important pieces, yeah. Exactly. They're the three pieces that deal with something that a lot and we're talking about horror here, aren't we? This is the Mm -hmm. we're bitching about like the rules that don't exist in horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The dead. Mm -hmm. We're living and playing in a horror-designed world, Jesse. Yeah. So to the credit of the 15 writers on this film. Good job guys. And then, that's really well done.
1: And then you know credit to the to the screenwriters too because top tackling a subject as morose as death and the afterlife <laughs> is <laughs> daunting for a kids movie. Amen. I think they 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 got the humor down in this movie like lock stock and barrel. Oh my god, are you going to do the um Frida Kahlo bit? Uh, no, no, it's the bit right after that, oh but still really good. Hey, Gustavo! You know anything about this party?
2: It's the hot ticket. <laughs> but if you're not on the guest list, you're never getting in, chorizo. Hey, it's chorizo! Ah! 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 Very funny,
1: guys.
0: Very funny.
2: Chorizo? Oh, you! Oh, this guy's famous! Go on, go on. Ask him how he died.
0: I don't want to talk about
2: it. He choked on some chorizo. Ah! Ah! I didn't choke. Okay, I got food poisoning, which is a big difference. Ah! This is why I don't like musicians. But
1: you know what kills me in that scene is the guy on the trombone. <laughs> just, they're just like giving Hector hell for how he died. Yeah. And when we learn the truth, it's actually a lot more deeper than that.
0: Uh, Look, and that sounds very familiar to me. I've been in a lot of family and <laughs> friend families where at the barbecue, I had similar conversations with each one of those Ernesto, mm-hmm. Kiwi, Antavo, Yeah. And Enrique, like I love it. They're so good at it. Yeah. Here's the thing though the humor in that is the genius of Pixar. Mm-hmm. That coupled with the previous bit, which is Frida Kahlo building her Super Bowl like <laughs> experience and the fast mm-hmm. visual that's going to happen is <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> set it on fire. And mm-hmm. that they chose her. Yeah. So smart. Mm-hmm. So I want to be fair. Yeah. There's a lot of really creative, smart, not misses in this. And this is all that.
1: I wanna play one more scene here and then I'm gonna ask you a question. Uh-oh. It's probably gonna take us down another path. But yeah, there's another important thing, like we talked about. It. If you don't have a picture on the ofrenda, you disappear after time because there's no one there to remember you. There is always something there to remind me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not in this case. No. Wait, what happened?
2: He's been forgotten. When there's no one left in the living world who remembers you,
1: you disappear from this world.
2: We call it the final death. Where did he go?
1: No one knows.
2: But I've met him. I could remember him when I go back.
1: No, it doesn't work like that, Chamaco. Our memories, they have to be passed down by those who knew us in life. In the stories they tell about us. But there's no one
2: left alive to pass down Chicha's stories. Hey, it happens to everyone eventually. Come on, De La Cruzito. You've got a contest to win.
1: So a couple things. Miguel is steadfast on meeting Ernesto De La Cruz. In order to get to him, he's got to get to his high-rise mansion, Xanadu on the hill. Yeah. In order to do that, he's got to win a a talent show contest. He needs a a guitar to do that. So like, we're going through the steps of getting to these different sections to get there, Mm -hmm. and we go get this... uh, guitar from this man named Chicharron, great name, Mm -hmm. played by Edward James Almos. Of course,
0: it has to be him. Should have had a bigger part, actually. Uh, Yeah,
1: yeah, of of course. But we learn, I think, the first of many lessons from Miguel. and, And it's, yeah, if there's no one there on the other side that is putting a picture up for you, I mean, you disappear into the ethers. I mean, that's the sad truth of... Lot of death and, you know, cultural values. I mean, if you're not passing that shit down eventually over time, I talked about time a lot last week, you do forget. And that's kind of sad. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's a heavy thing for someone to learn. Wait, but then I have a question for you. <laughs> what do you think of Ector as this kind of surrogate like sidekick that
0: he kind of takes, Takes a liking to that's kind of guiding him through the world of the dead. Back to the Coco argument made earlier. Mm -hmm. Should be titled Della Musica Hector. Mm -hmm. I love him. Yeah. Because he's forgotten and seen as a bit of a scallywag or... A joke. A jester. A grifter maybe. He's got all the right sayings, and they sort of dress him in tattered clothes to make him seem even more unimportant. He's kind of like the Scarecrow. Well said. Mm. You're going to find out sooner than later that this character is wildly important to the story. I'm going to give it away. So but Let's do it right now. Hector's actually Miguel's great-great-grandfather. Mm-hmm. And the picture that's missing the head is actually of Hector. Mm-hmm. So the man that he's been admiring, Ernesto de la Cruz, is only that man because he stole Hector's talent and used it. And then this is where things back to the serious nature of this murdered him. We're playing with some pretty heavy stuff. I think you got some sound. Let's roll it.
1: I'm sending you off with a toast to our friendship. I would move heaven and earth for you, mi amigo. Mm. Salud!
0: Bastard. Mm -hmm. You walked me to the train
1: station, but I felt a pain in my stomach. I thought it must have been something I ate. Perhaps it was that chorizo, my friend. Or something I drank.
2: I woke up dead. You poisoned me. You're
1: confusing movies with reality, Hector. All this time, I thought it was just bad luck. I never thought that you might have. That you... So in the middle of, of this, we, we we learn a lot of things. Miguel gets up to this place. He gets to meet Ernesto de la Cruz. He's like, I'm your great-great-grandson. He's like, I have a great-great-grandson. Benjamin Bratt. I mean, he's, he's, he's great in this movie. hmm and, it, like, he's living this lavish life. I mean, man, the land of the dead looks pretty sweet. I'm just saying that right now, especially yeah. his his pad. And then we get this st- pretty stunning revelation in the middle of this McCartney-Lennon partnership. <laughs> yeah. It's like 90% McCartney, 10% Lennon. I said it. Uh, <laughs>
0: You're forgetting George Harrison. That's when they got good.
1: 5% George. Mm.
0: The Zero, 5% that mattered. 0.01% Ringo. There we go. Dead no, I, I, love, love, I, love, I, love, music, I love Ringo
1: Starr. I love all four of those guys. Okay. But uh, we learn in this partnership that Hector is like the creative genius. I mean, he wrote all these songs. He's the guitar maestro. And I think Ernesto realizes this. I mean, you know, fame gets the better of you in this regard, in this scenario.
0: Izzy Stradlin's... <clears throat> yeah. To GNR's Axel. right? There you go and one of those guys is mostly forgotten mm-hmm. to the point his existence in the other semi-mortal plane is now in peril and i'm not exactly sure what the time frame is but essentially it hinges on if coco perishes and there's no memory left of him and it only resides in coco mm-hmm. then he goes away and we've lost not only a really likable character but the truth holder to what Ernesto de la Cruz's true evil is, and that's murder and theft. Well, then it
1: also goes into the misinformation
0: that the family was fed, too. I mean, the family thinks,
1: yeah, dad abandoned us, but they don't know the reason why he abandoned them.
0: The man was murdered. <laughs> right. When he was trying to get back to his family. And that's been the grudge that they've held. Mm-hmm against him all this time and why his picture isn't fully represented on the ofrenda and why his clock is ticking as well. Okay. So you said it earlier, it's structured really well and we're playing with some big meaningful themes and I love all of them. And I'll just say this too, from someone who represents that culture,
1: when someone holds a grudge, Oh boy, do they hold it? Yeah. No kidding.
0: Right. They don't let it go.
1: Yeah. This is a sad moment for me, Matt. I mean, this is this is you know for our young protagonist. You want him older, but even if he was older, to put yeah, that's s- not changing this though. No, the no, no Age no. here isn't changing. To now. put so much stock into an idol mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, the worshiping. You I mean he has a he has a, like a, a pyre for for this man in his in his attic. To then be given this, that it was all built on a lie, on murder, like heavy shit. And That's
0: going to find everybody at some point in their upbringing, whether yeah. it's nine or 17, like it finds us all. Mm-hmm. You're right. It does. And big moment because- Well, what happens when your hero becomes your villain? The, the curtain is pulled back and the great and powerful Oz is truly revealed for all of the things that they are not. So then what happens is your hero has to steal themselves, stand up for their own beliefs on their own two feet, Mm -hmm. and carry on for whatever is meaningful that's left. And this movie also still does that. I'm not saying that that's not in play here. Mm -hmm. We realize that the champion's cause that Miguel has taken has been the wrong champion. It actually should have been Hector. Yeah. This doofus that he's been hanging around with that he's been neglecting his whole time. But he doesn't know better because his family has basically hidden it. And the only one that kind of remembers Coco and she's not speaking in a very knives out sort of way. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. Okay. So That's going to all be rectified though. Here's what it comes down to. Yeah. The picture that was the agreement that Hector and Miguel struck in the first three to four minutes of their relationship way back at the end of act one, beginning of act two. And now Miguel is about to lose that picture. So he won't be able to put it on the friend and you get to that moment, which is my family is tantamount to everything. So I will sacrifice it all so that you can be okay. Miguel, Mm -hmm. because Hector, the picture is going to end up going up, what, in the lake or yeah, something? falls in the water. Falls in the water and he can't recover it. But he's got to send Miguel back. But he's going to send him back with no picture. But I think we get the moment that
1: I think really brings it home for Miguel to, you know, kind of get that, you know, sense of what he needs to do. Uh, get the picture back, which is essentially this chase through this auditorium of sorts uh, to get it back. So they throw Miguel into this cenote, which I've actually been in one. Mm pretty awesome uh but this was like you know an ancient aztecian like prison slaughter like thing they would dump your headless body into these water pits so they throw miguel in there and there's hector and then he spins him this and this was kind of tough for me matt i'm just gonna play this right now don't let it make you cry for even if i'm far away i hold you in my heart I mean, this kills me just because, like, listen to the lyrics of that, of that song. I mean, that's Hector's plea to his daughter, his family, this girl that's just young enough to recognize who her father is and you know, I have to go off to, to do, to do my part, to, to, you know, do this music thing, but you know, I'm, you're going to find a way to remember me. And Oh my God. When she starts singing with him, it all comes, you know, full sor- sor- circle for me. I, I understand why the film is called Coco. I understand what Hector is all about. And I understand what they're trying to, to teach Miguel in this moment. I mean, Pixar's done a genius job of as elaborate as this film has been from beginning to end, they strip it all down and it's all about remembrance and family. And it's something that you and I come to a crossroads at all the time when we write, you know what I mean? I mean, those, those values that you're passing down and what you set up so, so nicely in the prior scene. I mean, he's, if you're not remembering those aspects of the past, they, they just disappear into nothing. I mean, there's no one there to, to remember you.
0: So, and whether that's an ofrenda or just circumstantial life, the only way the dead continue, and again, I'm not going to get into the conversation about ghosts and all that bullshit (laughs) because I've never seen one. Yeah. That's the only way they do survive. Mm -hmm. And if the stories aren't passed down, then they die. And whether that's the drawings on caves... Well, or family legacy told from your great uncle, this, that, the other, like that's such well, I, an important piece well, I've of th- all families. i thought
1: about that too, uh, as as of late, Matt. You know those family mm-hmm. cultural values, if you know how they're passed down. I mean, like there's like so many things that I would like to pass on down to future generations, and unless I take a step to do that they'll be gone. You know what I mean? Right. There's so many, whether it's food or teachings or this or that, I mean, unless the next generation takes that first step to say, yes, I'm going to carry this on. It's gone. Right. And I think that's kind of what's also being taught to us in this film through this plot.
0: And Hector's doing that with Miguel Mm -hmm. he's taking the time to give him that so that it carries on in some way. Mm -hmm. So even though we're playing in the land of the dead and with a rather supernatural element, we're not that far removed from what just normal domestic life for you and I and probably everyone listening Mm -hmm. experiences. Often everybody out there has a story about that uncle Mm -hmm. that they love to tell and over the years, it's probably come far greater than it ever was. And, yeah. it's an, and who gives a damn? Yeah. Let it. Right? Let it. And so we're experiencing that. My and dad told
1: me this crazy story over Christmas about how he got so drunk in Dallas one time and he puked all over the grassy knoll where Kennedy got shot. I was like, this is, this is the most insane story he's ever told me. You know what I mean? And you I, have
0: great stories in your family. I know. And
1: I had like, never heard that one
0: before. So it's like that kind of shit that's like, at risk. My great, great, great grandfather, mm-hmm. I don't mean, know if it's that many greats, it's a couple at least, is the guy that invented epoxy glue. Mm. So many stories about that. Yeah. I never knew this guy. Mm-hmm. But as much as my mom's side of my family did a really good job of telling me the legacy of what was mm-hmm. Wegman before it became Dixon, Yeah, I don't have that on my dad's side because in the A Friend Away, they didn't tell me those stories and they're all gone mostly. Yeah. So, look, the ties in a Pixar film that go to children because it's a children's film are something that are prevalent and obvious. Mm-hmm. If you want to dig mm. a little bit deeper, when Pixar's really firing on all cylinders and yeah. delivering in spades, we're getting to the space that you and I are talking yeah, about right now speculation screenwriting <laughs> that ties in a child's delivery a more adult contemporary story. Well, I can't. Imma- That's genius. Oh yeah.
1: I can't imagine the amount of people that went to go see this in the theaters. They take their kids, the kids are there and they're having a good time, but then the parents are like in the middle of like a midlife crisis while they're watching this. You know what I mean? Like what yes. they've abandoned in their upbringing to not pass on to their children. Good.
0: Yeah. The, I don't want to talk anymore about that. I think it's a really poignant yeah. for you and to that. Amen. Yeah. yeah. And yes, it's great.
1: Excellent. So then the film wraps up. So it's all about, man, we gotta get Ernesto de la Cruz because we need that photo. But like, man, we gotta like tell everyone like what a bastard this guy is. So it's in this kind of like auditorium, like Coliseum concert that they're having on the eve of the day of the on, on the like midnight of the day of the dead. And, man, they catch him, like, red-handed. I mean, he's he, he's going to, like, they get the cameras broadcasting, and he just, like, lets it loose. And then, like, everyone in the audience sees, like, oh, my
0: God, you killed this guy? And then he was the real genius? <laughs> Is this second act reversal mm-hmm. the best Pixar's ever done? It's pretty good. It's pretty damn good, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I brought up the mom-to-bear thing in, in Brave earlier. Well, uh, the, the film's done. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot she was the bear. But no, 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 the film's done a good job of putting De la
1: Cruz on a like a pedestal of how great he is. And like, what do you what do you have to do when you have to break that down? And I think the film does a great job of like villainizing him really
0: good. He poisoned his partner. Yeah. That's some pretty deep waters that we're now treading in, in the kids' film mm-hmm. genre. Murder, straight up murder. Mm-hmm. And then a potential secondary murder because if he doesn't give Miguel that picture and then his Miguel's been sequestered by mm-hmm. uh, Ernesto de la Cruz's security team, he's going to miss his window as the sun rises or sets or whatever yeah. we decided it was. Mm-hmm. This guy's a really bad guy. Yeah. We have a really bad villain in mm-hmm. this film, don't we? Yeah. I mean, top 10 villain. Well, it
1: seems so, it seems so trivial, you know, because like his villainy is like built upon fame, you know what I mean? And like... Like what he's built for himself on banking all of these great songs and building a legacy for himself when the real legacy
0: is the other guy. Um, um, the opulence that he has that have been offered to him at the ofrendas from his adoring fans it, while every, Hector has nothing. Yeah. I mean, he's kicking food out of the way to get through his mansion, his Xanadu like mansion. Mm-hmm. It's literally Citizen Kane. Yeah. Every one of those stacks could be Rosebud, right? Yeah. Crazy. It's, yeah. He's really well done. Mm-hmm. I love that. Benjamin, really well done. Benjamin Brad's played him because he's kind of like a nothing
1: actor for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's good. He's good at it. Mm-hmm. Well, everyone's the voice talents in this are, are really good, but you know, they, they paint him for what he is, but then like, you know, everyone's like losing a bit of their uh, ability. Again, the taking time element, you know, Miguel's turning into a skeleton, Hector's disappearing, the photos destroyed, it falls into the the water. So then they do something just like really good uh they said we're going to we're still going to send you back and everything's always been like anti music anti this and you will not play music. And so they do it this time and they don't have that in there when they give him that 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 little pedal. So it's come to this. It come it's come to this moment with this confrontation with the family that's been so opposed to music from the beginning of the film that the only way to get <laughs> Uh, Grandma Coco's memory, which is probably so Alzheimer's out that she she's losing it. She's she's close to death too. Uh, what's going to be the bridge that brings that all together for her and it's going to help us remember Hector? It's got to be music. And man, I'm going to have to turn away. I don't know if I could do this.
2: Remember me. Though I have to travel far, remember me Each time you hear a sad guitar Know that I'm with you the only way that I can be Until you're in my arms again nothing mama nothing at all my papa used to sing me that song he loved you mama Coco your papa loved you so much
1: so then we learn through all of this that she's been remembering him her entire life. I mean, she has the last remaining photo of the man, all the things she wrote her, like all the lyrics of all the songs that she's written. Like the only person that's remembered Hector this entire time was Mama Coco. Mm -hmm. But it took this moment here, this aversion to music, this life lesson that Miguel had to learn through the land of the dead to really bring that full circle to make her remember. It's, it's brilliant. There's nothing else I can say about that. It's it's a hard moment to watch for me. It's uh when when you experience, you know, death in your in your family and and things I've noticed within my own family when people pass on, I mean, things change whether for the good or for the bad, but things aren't always like they used to be and it's especially in like the grandparents that I take stock in how they pass on values. Mm-hmm. And moments and I really noticed that, Matt. And this this moment really makes me miss all four of my grandparents so much because when they all passed on, I noticed a change familial for me where things weren't the same for not the good. Everyone kind of went their own way at that moment. And so unless you, you know, you're you're close like this and you're able to kind of have this. I mean, you do start to forge your own path with your own families. Mm -hmm. And that's that's sad. Mm -hmm. That's a real sad moment. And man, for Pixar to do that in in an animated film with these characters, with what they've done is, for me, it's nothing short of brilliant. It's really well handled, in my opinion.
0: That path you forge forward with your own family Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that has... The Afrenda remembrances or influences from what has already happened is the key, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think this movie reminds us that they put to bed the demons of music. Hector and Imelda make up and become the happy couple in the afterlife, that they were here in the present life, but he just got a little sidetracked. Yeah. And then <laughs> was murdered. Yeah. But no one could tell Imelda the truth because. Hector's not going to admit that he murdered his partner to his dead partner's wife. So It's just
1: just what they assumed, yeah.
0: So as much as, you know, I cried about the name of the movie being Coco. (laughs) Yeah. It is Miguel that ties it all together at the end.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I'm not going to get into the age thing again, like we've talked about that. Yeah. Regardless, he's the one that ties it together. And I think the path going forward is better because of it. And man, there's lessons to go to school on there. Yeah. Because the thing that has to happen is Amelda has to let the past go with Hector, mm-hmm. and she does. And Coco has to embrace the past. So is this then the story of the past is what it was, and it's good and bad, and you have to take all of it and forgive the sins and celebrate the victories, and that steals you as you progress with your own ofrenda like building. That's every
1: life lesson that anyone should go through. Like that's Amen. yeah.
0: <laughs> is it that simple? Yeah. What if it is?
1: yeah I mean, we put a lot of stock in our in our past and what's happened versus what's going forward. and you're right, yeah, you have to put a lot of that to bed in order to move forward. And Miguel's the the, the linchpin that makes that all happen for his entire family, right. The next following Dia de los Muertos is a celebration. I mean, it's like,
0: yeah, Coco's passed away.
1: Pomp and, so yeah, that's another thing. and they put her picture up and you realize within the year span she's passed on but we're not going to forget her. We're going to put her up here every year and and offer this. And Matt, this was probably the part that killed me the most when I, when, when I watched it this, this last time when Coco has an inception scene in it, when like Hector goes to the TSA guy, this is the scene when Leo goes up to the TSA and was like, Oh my God, am I going to be able to get past through security to go see my children? And he's like, let me see if they put a photo up this time. And, and they did. So for the first time, He gets to come across the bridge, the rainbow bridge, with his daughter and his wife now, reacquainted, to go be with family in a way that they've never been before, so to speak. I mean, they've added members to the family. I mean, Miguel's family, they've added a daughter to the mix in the meantime. Mm -hmm. But I I like how they visually paint the picture because... Like you said, ghosts, we're not going to get into spectral and spectral energy in in the podcast. But like the ghosts are there watching from their point of view. The humans are doing their thing from their point of view. But the intermixing interactions of how they're doing it is there's a mutual assured recognition of they're here, we're here. And this is how it's going to be. It's the end's
0: Great. I love it. Great ending. Yeah. The people that have crossed the rainbow bridge can see the living. The living don't offer the same thing to the dead. Yeah. But they know they're there, and we are celebrating in music and food and a fiesta-like atmosphere, all things living or dead, just people, family. That's a really great ending to a movie that has been entirely about family. Mm -hmm. Sidetracked for me a little bit here and there, but about family nonetheless. Sure, yeah. Perfect ending. Is this a kid's movie? You know what I mean?
1: Like, I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great question. No, I'm, I'm just saying. I mean, they're, they're attacking a lot of really heavy material for this going, doing it from the perspective of one person's culture. I mean, you could do this from Japan, you know, England, France, India. Like, everyone has their own, you know, the Middle East. Everyone has their own beliefs on the afterlife. I mean, this is just a snapshot into that. They killed it. I mean, like just visually and just how they presented it to us.
0: If you take a movie that I would not consider a children's movie or a series, which would be anything having to do with Darth Vader in the Star Wars saga, and compare it to the way that Hector and Coco and everyone is handled in this film, I think you can make a reasonable case that this does it infinitely better with far more substance and a much more in-depth reveal than force ghosts or pyres of burning your father, essentially, and effigy, remorseful effigy, I guess. Yeah. One of those succeeds in a simple, although it's not, childlike encapsulated package while other, the other tries to be formal and grand and regal and fails miserably. And that's the strongest vote that I can give this film mm-hmm. for everything that force ghosts are yeah. in Star Wars, which is now at this point fairly adult-like cinema. Yeah. This movie succeeds on every avenue that that franchise can't even get the car started to drive <laughs> down. It's a kid's movie. I don't know if that's... Is it? It is. I mean,
1: it's... And it's not. Yeah. So to that. To that. Couple things, and then I have a couple questions
0: for you. Uh,
1: $175 million budget. These
0: animated films
1: aren't cheap to make. Let's just say that.
0: Holy smokes, really? $175 to make it. Yeah, they're pretty pretty pricey. My goodness. But
1: yeah, $807 million uh, worldwide. That's a pretty nice chunk of change for an animated film. And then I found this, you know equally fascinating this is the first time that a nine-figure budget so 100 plus million has been done with an all latino cast so voice cast so wow i mean pixar presents a lot of unique opportunities uh not to say you know the mexican cinema cult whether that's guillermo del toro or Alfonso Cuarón. I mean, they're, they're making... Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, they're making a lot of really great movies in, in 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 Mexico. But, like, for that, like, to me, this is where this film ultimately succeeds, is that for that to bridge over into the mainstream audience with the avenue that is Pixar, that's awesome. I and mean, that's mm-hmm. it's great. I mean, the Pixar offers, like we said, is it Nolan or Pixar? It's kind of both, you know what I mean? They're able to do things that, like, This type of movie, uh, people just aren't making it. You know what I mean? It's so unique in that regard.
0: They could have set this story in any culture Mm because every culture has some remembrance of the dead. But to choose the one that they did was a stroke of genius Mm -hmm. and I think fueled what was a semi-hot ember of the Dia de los Muertos sort of fad. That's a bad way to put it, but popularity... And has really stoked those into a full blown inferno at this point. It's a very fascinating time of the year. But just the, the holiday in and of itself mm-hmm. is remarkable just appearance wise. Is yeah. it not skeletons and shit walking all over the place? It's it's well, the opening of
1: eerily the, creepily joyful. Well the opening of the last Bond film, Spectre, oh, yeah, took took place during that time, during right. that festival. And it's grand, it's pompous, it it just looks amazing. It's like their parades and the the skeletons. That's that's like such a cool thing about it. Yeah. But a couple questions for you. What is your favorite tasting note of cocoa?
0: Mm, I think it's the way the leaves are used as the conduit to travel between the here and the hereafter. That's such an insignificant, unimportant piece of just mother nature that, We disregard widely and often Mm -hmm. and to empower that with that's the blessing that they use because that's what the bridge is made out of is the meticulous evidence of the meticulous nature that the writers went through to tie Mm -hmm. this all together into one full complete story that's built set up and paid off remarkably well. Yeah, leaves my, Jesse yeah. leaves matter. Yes. yeah exactly it's impre- and that's not even the most visually stunning piece and it. it's just that attention to detail which I admire wildly
1: yeah though to me my favorite taste you know, is just the whole world that they created from a visual standpoint it's vibrant it, it's colorful mm-hmm. it's again like most of your, ma- your main characters are all of skeletal structure uh the music the the look of the the cobblestone streets I mean the 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 uh, Cruz's Xanadu, Estate. I mean, it's it just it, you're right. It's it's hands down Pixar's best looking movie. It looks it looks great.
0: You know, another one that's a close second. I have to admit, mm-hmm. the selfie bit when the guy shows up. I think he's a wrestler, and he says, "Oh, it's this particular yeah. famous," and he, he gives takes him his, his, up. his skeleton head yeah. and says, for the selfie. Oh my god, that's just genius. Really good. Yeah, excellent. What's the <gasps>
1: Moment of Coco.
0: Well, for me, it's when you watch Hector die from poisoning on the street. It's mine too. Yeah, There's no way it
1: can't be that. It's such a dark moment in this movie. And yeah, it sends us into the path of act three that, you know, our hero that we vitalize is our villain. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Who's the master distiller on Coco?
0: I don't know the name, but whoever was the color coordinator for this film. I don't even know if that's <laughs> a per credited role, but who sat down and said, okay, so we're going to have this with a Latino feel to it. And here are the colors that are, because it'd be easy to go gray and black and white, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that seems to fit. But for a movie that essentially involves the dead, it is really colorful. So the choice of the palette in the colors. Mm-hmm. And you know, the funny thing is, when you compare the colors of the afterlife compared to Miguel's Village, Yeah, the afterlife is far, far, far more vibrant. Oh, yeah. So I don't know who that person is. The set design, I guess. I don't know what you would call <laughs> that in an animated film. Yeah, but the director might have a say in that too, so. All right, we'll go there. That's pretty good. Excellent. I'm
1: going to give it to uh, to our three leads, uh, Anthony Rodriguez, Gail Garcia Bernal, and Benjamin Bratt. I mean... They, they carry the movie. Sure. They have to sing in the movie. Uh, I think we haven't said, you know, how just how pretty great the a lot of the songs and the music is in the movie. Uh, yeah, they're really good. I mean, they're our guide. They're our own fish out of water into this world. And I think they're they're really good. And when I found that little anecdote of, yeah, the first 100 million dollar movie with an all Latino cast and it's led by by these three, a kid, a 10 year old, a 12 year old, uh, that's. That's pretty cool. That's 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 really cool. Mm-hmm. How are you gonna rate and grade Coco?
0: Oh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Let me give you a hockey analogy for this first. Yeah, go ahead. If you have a really strong offense and defense, and your goalie is crap, mm-hmm. then you can say only one piece of the hockey team is broken, and that's our goalie. The problem is. That ends up being a very important piece. That's not like your third string right wing or something, but that's who stops all of the pucks from going in the net. Yeah. This movie is a little bit of that for me. It's called plus, 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 plus. The problem for me personally is the aging element Mm -hmm. through the entire second act with Miguel. Yeah. And he really gets to the point where it's not Franklin from Texas Chainsaw. It's (laughs) not that level by any means. (laughs) But it gets to be a bit annoying and petulant and starts to steal the magic of the film for me because he's just such a pain in the ass. Yeah, I'm tired of him whining. A nine-year-old or 12, but either way, Mm -hmm. is capable of about that response. So it's it's germane and appropriate. It's just the wrong age for me. Yeah. That's one piece of a film that's an hour and 45 minutes long, but it's a big piece because it's the main character that keeps it from being single barrel to top shelf because everything else around it is on point spot, dead on balls, perfect. Just that piece is a little broken for me. So that keeps it to, I mean, call plus, 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 that's not terrible. Yeah. Call plus to single barrel minus somewhere in there. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh no yeah i had a i had a great time
1: rewatching this film yeah matt this is this is upper tier pixar for me i gotta go top shelf uh just visually aesthetically uh the the writing Mm -hmm. the look of it this is this is this is a hell of a movie and uh you know i forgot to mention too one best animated film best original song for remember me at the oscars that year um could have been in consideration for for the Best Picture Award, but I don't even think it was nominated that year. It should have been. Yeah, uh, yeah. My big takeaway with this is just the the uniqueness into this a snapshot into this world, which is something Pixar is just so good at doing. And it wasn't until this time when I realized, man, this it's a fish out of water character. This is the ticking time element. It's about family. It's this quest to get to to this this stage, but. Yeah, it hit me a little harder this time than I think it, it had the, the first time. And it really made me put family into perspective and, you know, mm-hmm. legacies and cultures. And, you know, how do you take something from the past and pass it on to the future? And then, you know, you know, that's like such like a good virtue to, to live by. Because if you don't, it's all forgotten so to speak yeah so yeah this to me this is a really Pixar for me exceeds when they don't rehash what they've done before and, and instead expand uh new avenues that we haven't seen like last week and uh coming up next week as as well taking chances on on things that haven't been seen on screen and this that's this film so yeah, I gotta give it. I gotta give it that rating. In my rating of the crap, the middle to the road, and the outside looking in, and then the great, it's in the great for me. This is top three Pixar films for
0: me. In a three round fight with the Incredibles to just oh, just land a couple haymakers, a little, yeah, yeah, it's a close fight. Nice. I think the Incredibles still comes out, but ten nine on the third judge. Yeah, Explorer it's card. close.
1: It's like Rocky. <laughs>
0: Well said. <laughs> Excellent. Well, in more ways than one
1: Yeah, well, let's get to our nightcap. Remember me. Though I have to say goodbye, remember me. Don't let it make you cry. For even if I'm far away, I hold you in my heart. I sing a secret song to you. Each night we are apart. Remember me. Oh, I have to travel far. Remember me each time you hear a sad guitar. Know that I'm with you the only way that I can be until you're in my arms again. Remember
2: me.
0: I think that's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. Yeah, light, it, might be. Kind, it? <laughs> it, might,
1: it might be. I'm just kidding, but good for them. Excellent. Hold those horns. Oh, I get it. More horns in music. Amen. How about that? Uh, Yeah, okay, so we've talked a lot about Hector and how he is just such a great sidekick to Miguel in this film, but, like, this is something that Disney is just so good at, and it's peppering and teaming up our our protagonists with great sidekicks, whether that's Timon and Pumbaa or Jiminy Cricket. I mean, Disney's been doing it since 1940. Uh, So whether it's Disney or Pixar... Who's your best sidekick Sidekick from
0: this particular studio? Bagheera. Baloo's the fun. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite Disney movie, by the way. Jungle Book? Yeah. Did you like the remake, the redo? No. no. I didn't dislike it, but nothing can start that first one for me. Baloo's fun and song and dance and, and great in his own, his own regard. But the foundation... And the rock when it's hard to sort of make sure you stay the course and do what the right thing is is Bagheera. I've always admired the persistence and the singular focus of that character. I think once upon a time I had a Bagheera um, like sticker that I proudly displayed on my trapper keeper. <laughs> nice. I've always liked that character, and Jiminy Cricket is close. Mm-hmm. A little bit whiny, but Bagheera is so sleek and strong and smart and sage and wise. So what was that? Is that, is that like Bagheera. a black?
1: Is that like a panther? Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's Bagheera. Great choice. Thanks. I didn't even think of that. Of anything in the Jungle Book, really? Uh Yeah. Take your take your your gamut from whatever Pixar or Disney. There was one I had to pick, and it's just because the guy that voiced it, Slade, is voicing. <laughs> I got to go Genie from Aladdin. I mean, Robin, I mean, we talked about it in the nightcap last week about, you know, voices we'd like to see in Pixar and voices more suited for cartoony films versus regular actors. And how is Robin Williams not like perfect for an animated film? The guy is just, the guy was RIP. So animated in just everything that he did. I mean, when, and then when he showed up in that film, how would you not want a sidekick that can literally conjure up literally whatever you wish? Wonder Woman 84.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
1: Good choice. I mean, he does stuff in there from Jack Nicholson impersonations. I mean, there's some stuff in there that, like, ain't for the kiddies. I mean, it's, like, over their heads. Yeah. And he did it a couple times in uh, Aladdin, The Prince of Thieves. He came back and and did the voice for that direct uh, VHS Disney film. But it's something that they exceed in uh, masterfully. Uh, The sidekick is – Equally as important, whether that's uh was that Little John mm-hmm. in uh, in Robin Hood, or you know Thumper and Bambi, or the the dwarves and Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. I mean, the supporting elements in the Disney films are just as strong as the protagonists. So sure, and that extends to Pixar too. That they're they're just as good as that, and I thought
0: they did a really good job in in this film. I didn't think of the genie at all. That's a, such a n- clear. Should have been in contention in my mind, and it didn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm sort of ashamed I didn't come to that. All
1: of the Disney stuff from that particular era, whether it's, yeah, Timon and Pumbaa from Lion King or Lumiere, uh, Cogsworth, uh, Mrs. Potts from Beauty and the Beast. I mean, that particular era of Disney, like 89 to like uh, 97,
0: 99, even Mulan and uh, Mushu. Man, even like going way back, even like Dopey. Yeah. Dopey and grumpy. I mean, Mm -hmm. we can play out the seven effects of cocaine or whatever you want to do. There's plenty written about that if anybody (laughs) wants to delve into those waters. Yeah. But, yeah, the sidekicks that Disney has created around their main characters, man, they have really done a good job Mm -hmm. with supporting actors and characters. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Excellent. Well, that that's gonna put the the capper on Coco. We're gonna wrap this cask up next week. We got one more film in the in the in the chamber here, and it's another 2020 release. It's been really good. I've gotten to what we've released so far this year, and this is the only one that wasn't released in 2020. Coco, <laughs> but everything's been 2020 so far. And that Soul came out Christmas Day, same day as Wonder Woman 84. Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, and it's set in the world of jazz music. And again, another afterlife movie. What happens to someone's soul when it passes on and dies? I mean...
0: This should be right up our alley next week. Have you done it yet? I have. Mm. And I liked it. I got to get in there again,
1: though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's another like unique look into a world that we don't get to see... But I like that it has the jazz angle because that bring that always brings it home for me. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I can't wait to to sit there and we, you got to come over. We'll watch this. We'll watch this before okay, and before we cut the show. But you have that hit us. Yeah, hit us up on any of the social media platforms. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any of the podcasting sites that allow you to do ratings and review. It just helps people find the show uh, a little bit better. But Matt, I <laughs> last week I. Uh, went into detail on the panic moments that I have on the capper to this this episode, mm-hmm. but I have it this week. Okay. So let's hear it. Que pasa una biena semana a todos. Los veramos a la oscuridad, which means have a good week, everybody. We'll see you in the dark. Amen. Thank you for listening to Rye Smile Films. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review while you're there. And if you want to leave us some more comments or some feedback, hit us up on any of our social media platforms or at Productions at gmail.com. Coco is property of Pixar Animation Studios and Walt Disney Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, Salud!